and welcome to the Eye on the U podcast, Miami Herald's Miami Hurricanes podcast. I'm David Wilson, and I am joined, as always, on the other line by Susan Miller-Degnan, our Hurricanes beat writer here at the Herald. Susan, how's it going? It's going well, as usual, thankfully. It's Florida State Week. Yes, it is. I can't believe it. I know. It, is. it feels pretty weird. Like, does it, does it feel like Florida State Week to you? No. I think if we were I mean, at practice, it probably would, but... I, I get excited for the games. Right, right. It'll be fun once we're, like, out at the stadium, but... I'm always excited for the games, and Florida State, you know, just turn it up a few hundred notches. <laughs> yeah. It seems like they're excited, right? Like, the way you that... You know, and it's hard to totally gauge these guys, like, energy and all that stuff through, like, Zoom and all that, but... um. Yeah, Jared Williams said, like, you can tell it's more intense this week. Um, you, Brevin Jordan, after the game on Saturday, when you when you told him it was uh, game day was coming for Miami, Florida State, he was, you know, it was like a uh, organic, genuine reaction, and he was he was pumped, to say the least. Um, uh, yes, yes, he was. I, <laughs> it was pretty funny, actually. I, I love them right after the game. I mean, they're the best, especially when they win. Yeah, when they right? win, yeah. Yeah, it's... it's uh, you get the true emotions, you know, from them, and yeah. and it's very nice to see. Yeah. Um. So it's it's gonna be a weird game, right? Like I think that's it's always a weird game, right? Miami, Florida State. It's never normal, like just because something weird's probably gonna happen in the game. But also, um, you know, there will only be thirteen thousand people in the crowd, and based on I think Barry Jackson reported today, they're they're getting pretty close to that number. I would think they are right up at about thirteen thousand for kickoff. Um, yeah. students well, still are not allowed in the building, uh, no alcohol, right? Um, alcohol, no UM students. No UM I mean, students. The Florida State band is not traveling. Um, nope. no UM band, of course, no students, like yeah. I said. No yeah. tailgating. Uh, and of course, um, Mike Norvell won't be there, the Florida State coach. Uh, who, no State who coach. tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, I guess it sounds like probably Friday or Saturday last week. Uh, so he won't travel. I guess he's been uh, tuning into their practices via Zoom. Um, uh-huh. I think he'll probably be doing something like that um, on Saturday. I don't know exactly what like the Florida State setup is going to be. Um, but yeah, it's Mike Norvell's first Miami-Florida State game, and, and he doesn't even get to come to the game. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. Um, and they weren't sure, really, uh, about game day. I mean, it's it's going to be very difficult, you know, to coach. It's one thing in practice uh, afterward. You know, you could talk. He could, was talking, communicating with coaches, I think, during practice yeah. and stuff. But you can't really, during the game where it's, you know, you can't stop anything. It's going, going, play by play. They've got to, the, the coaches... Uh, Chris Thompson, who's their usual tight ends coach, who's going to take over, um, you know, who's going to be the interim coach for the day. I mean, it's like how much time is he going to have between the game to sit and listen to, even if other people, you know, listen to Norvell, or even if other coaches give him information. It's just going to be very yeah, complicated. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of leads to Miami, you know, and I think even if Norvell was there, I don't know how much he's playing into the line. Miami's a pretty significant favorite. Um, 
going into the game. Hurricanes obviously have won three in a row now in this rivalry that, that so often is winning streaks, right? What was it? It was like seven in a row for Florida State before that. Yeah, um, seven and then three for Miami now. And and look, like I said, they're a pretty big favorite, um, not just because of the Norvell thing, but they've like flipped this. They've really flipped the rivalry kind of back in their favor. You see it like you know on the recruiting trail um, and, and just the overall season results and. Um, you know, these two programs have been pretty, like, shaky for the last, basically since, you know, Miami had their Orange Bowl season in 2017, which was the last Jimbo year. Um, right. And that was not a great season for Florida State. I think they only won six games in the regular season that year. Um, and basically, since then, neither of these programs has been exactly stable. Um, but Miami still just has managed to win this game. And now, like, it's Norvell's first year. This is, uh, you know, they've made – both teams have made coaching changes since that 2017 season. Um, and But Miami right now looks like the much more stable one, which that these two teams that have been messy, Miami's finally like kind of found some footing. It does, but, you know, this game, I don't know, 11 point, 11 point, point you know, spread. I don't know about that. I, I, I mean, this has nothing to do with gambling, but in this rivalry, uh, it's rare that it's 11 points or more different. Yeah. You, I mean, pretty rare. Right, right. Right? There, there, a lot of times the games come down to the very, very end and something crazy happens, like you said, at the end. So, um, and there's so much intensity, you know, on the field. And this will be, be very interesting. Yeah. How much, I mean... Like you said, it's, it feels like it usually comes down to the end. I guess last year was kind of an exception where Miami pretty much took care of business. The last... Oh, my God, yeah. Miami had a ton of... Defensively, I think they, Miami had 16 tackles for loss. Yeah, they, they the Florida State line was a mess. Um, and nine sacks. Miami <laughs> had nine sacks. Yeah, that was, and, in a lot of ways, kind of the Greg Rousseau. I don't want to say coming out party because he was, like, already... Probably had like four or five sacks before that game, but I think he had three in that game, and it was like kind of that game. That was the game where we like were starting to like track where his season stood historically in Miami history. I think, um, right? And uh, I think he wound up what he finished with like the second most single season sacks I think in franchise in program history. So, um, but yeah, I mean this season it does feel like this is a chance for Miami to kind of like make a statement that you know they've been winning these games the last three years. Um, and some of them have been ugly. You know, a lot of them have been close. Last year, Willie Taggart got fired like two days later, so it was uh, the end of the road for for that era of Florida State. Um, was it two days? I thought it was. I got to change my. Maybe the next though. day. Maybe it was the next day. <laughs> I think it was the next day. Actually, now that you mentioned it. Um, next day. Yeah. Um, but this is a time where, it, like, it feels like it's not just, like, Miami is in the less bad shape right now. Miami actually feels like it's in, in pretty good shape. And, yeah. And it's, I think, but, a, a chance to does, kind of make that statement. It, uh, yeah. It does feel like Miami's in, in good shape. But, you know, the thing it does. And, it, it, I mean, from looking at them on the field, watching them against Louisville, um, just, you know, De'Ara King, I know we're going to talk about him. Miami looks like it's in really good shape, but you know, every time we think that, I know, I know, you know 
boom, you get punched, right? Yeah. Well, so, actually, I, w- I didn't have this written as like a question I w- wanted to ask. I was thinking this would probably come up eventually if Miami keeps winning games. Like, uh-huh. w- at what point will you kind of feel like you trust Miami? Because I feel like that's kind of been the biggest, and we've talked about it on here, that like, you know, they've looked good and then they've gone out and totally laid eggs. Um, like, it's really hard to trust that they're ever like kind of on track. Um, at what point do you think they could get to that? So that's the thing. They could they could you know win this and then they get Clemson. And if they play Clemson close, I think at that point, like you'd be like, all right, this team is oh no know, doubt real. Oh god! But like or even they... if they get blown out, like I don't know if that would make me like hop off. Like we're still gonna we have still have a lot of time to like kind of figure out exactly how good this team is. Wait, if they play Clemson respectable, yeah, respectfully, whatever the word. I mean, I, then then I'd feel I would feel a lot better. Although. I really do feel this team is, uh, has improved so much. I mean, so much, David. So I'm, I'm kind of like buying in right now yeah. at this point. So I think it's more of they've got to disprove it to me. You know right. what I mean? They've got to do the opposite. Right. So. That's, a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about it going into last week where it was like, you know, they look pretty good against UAB. Um, then they had that Florida Louisville game. We were like talking about basically how do we know they're not going to lay an egg? And we said the the guy was pretty much Derek, right? Like that. Just they have not had a quarterback like that. I, I think the team has kind of taken on his confidence, and you know he's he's not going to get rattled in the way that a lot of um, the quarterbacks of, of recent years have. Um, and really, it's the whole, like, veteran presence all across the roster, right? Like, they only have, like, two sophomores. You know, Ja'Kai Clark, I guess, started at left guard, so there's one sophomore. And I think Ja'Cory Couch is listed as, like, an or with uh, DJ Ivy as the cornerback starter, and that's the other sophomore. Like, other than that, it's just veterans across the board. And and that's one of the big things Manny was talking about all along when he went really heavy on the transfer portal – um, is, you know, the class that, like, basically would be, like, juniors, seniors right now are, are kind of thin. Just like, you know, those were years where either guys ended up transferring before they kind of became upperclassmen or, um, you know, those recruiting classes just weren't as good. So they filled that out with, um, you know, I, I wrote about it this week, just like a crazy amount of their production all across the field right now is coming from these veteran transfers, whether it's, you know, obviously King at quarterback and as a dual-threat guy, he's contributing basically all the passing yards and a big chunk of the rushing yards. But then on defense, I mean, they've got three veteran, you know, guys who I think are like fourth year or fifth year in in Quincy Roche's case, um, starters on defense who are transfers, and and a lot of them were not playing for a lot of last season. Um, you know, on offense, Jared Williams or right tackle has been a huge boost. Um, right. They the way that they've kind of infused these veterans, um, it makes you feel like at least for this year it's going to work. Um, you know, who knows what next year is going to look like when when those guys are potentially all gone. But but for now, you have to feel pretty good about um, the way that those seniors and and jun- redshirt juniors and whatever they all are, these guys who came in as transfers and are you know in. Close to their mid, closer to their mid twenties than their teens right now. Uh, that right. makes a difference. Makes a huge difference, and 
I also love that there's kind of a pipeline. Like there's, and I, I don't know if that, you know, will stay, but I mean, like the uh, Bishop Gorman, right, with, with Brevin Jordan and uh, Bubba Bolden. Um, and Tate Martell. Tate, yeah, Tate Martell, uh, and, uh, who's, you know, has, has opted not out. not playing this year, yes. But, but anyway, um, you know, there's that, so there's that kind of guys who know each other, you know, and convincing other ones to play. And I mean, Jalen Phillips is really, really good, this defensive end. Yeah. And, and even, even like the De'Aaron King slash Jared, Jared Williams, Williams yep. right tackle from out of um, Houston who played with, who played with De'Aaron. I just love the, how guys are kind of related, you know, coming from the same program. Well, even, even, uh, the new kicker, who I know we're going to talk about, yeah. the graduate transfer, Jose Borgales, um, who's phenomenal and whose, you know, little brother is um, committed. Yeah, committed to UM, Andres, and yeah. he's like one of the top or the top. Yeah, and Jose, you know, he's a Booker T. Washington kid. Like he played in high school with like Demetrius Jackson and, and probably I think Chad Tom. Like you know, the, that's a school that Miami just always is getting kids from. Like, yeah, those yeah. pipelines matter. And they, they really do matter. And, Shab- and I mean, Shaman Madonna is another, you know, we to Corey Couch is kind of the one guy. And actually, Cam Williams was, was really good in the Louisville game. Like, you know, they've got these kind of pipelines that, that are starting to, like, bloom. Yeah. And, and wow, I tell you, I, I mean, a lot of schools now are, a lot of schools are getting grad transfers. Mm-hmm. At UMs, wow. I mean, when you think, well... Actually, Jalen Phillips was not a grad, not a grad transfer. transfer. And neither was Bubba Bolden. Or Bubba Bolden, right? Yeah. No. No. So, but, It's really but, the three guys they got this year are grad transfers. Spectacular players, though. Yeah. I three, mean, three, three of their, thing, you know, Sorry, four guys they got this year, right? Yeah, four guys. Because really? well, they, they Jared got Williams Quinton, came Jared, in later. Jared, and Jose, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just... They're all so good and, and and mature, you know, and yeah. they bring even Jose, you know, brings some feistiness and confidence, and that's another thing those guys bring to the team, really, mm-hmm. including Eric. Well, I'll say, like, the you do see it where, like, schools gain, you know, who knows with, you know, the way that the transfers have, like, kind of increased. Like you're saying, everyone's doing it now, but you do – build a reputation as like a school that is a good place for transfers to wind up. And you don't want to build your whole program on that. I mean, there's like, you know, I think like Kansas state um, and like the late Bill Snyder era, like was pretty, like they were always the school that was getting the Juco guys. Like, you know, there's certain schools that you, you know, you don't want to build your whole program on it, but I'm sure guys who transfer, like, you know, the next transfer quarterback next year is going to see, wow, De'Aaron King, like really, thrived in his one year playing at Miami for Rhett Lashley. Like, you know, that stuff matters. You get a reputation as schools that um, are good homes for transfers land. I think you see it probably a little bit more in college basketball than you do in, in college football. Um, you know, Iowa State is a school with, with Fred Hoiberg that was always getting transfers. Um, and, and actually, kind of ironically or, or coincidentally, um, Miami was always a, a big transfer factory for basketball. You know, their two Sweet Sixteens they had in the last decade were, you know, Shane Larkin was a transfer, Sheldon McClellan was a transfer, 
Um, you know, so there, there's a precedent. I mean, if you want to transfer somewhere, I guess, you know, Miami is a pretty good place. Just as Lou Headley said, like, there's a lot of pressure to, to come in as a transfer. Like, there's there's high expectations. But, uh, right. you know, the weather and all that stuff is, is pretty appealing. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, he, yeah, he said that. I, I, uh, I think when it comes to, like, JUCO guys, you know, transfers, there's a big Big difference, in, in my view, uh, historically, from what I've seen in the last several years, between JUCO guys and grad transfers. Yes, definitely. And just, just for the sheer reason, David, that grad transfers uh, have graduated. Yeah, they're older. They're and older. Usually, guys who come from a JUCO, there's you know, there's some reason they were at a JUCO. Either yeah. they you yeah. know were a late might... bloomer, or you know, they had some academic issues, or, or something yeah, else. That's saying it nicely, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe academic issues, maybe some other issues. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's just, you know, I just, I love the grad transfer rule, yeah. right? You get your degree and you don't have to sit out a year. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, like I said, the only the only challenge, and it's going to be different this year because everyone gets an extra year of eligibility. So some of these guys, I guess, theoretically could come back. Uh, kind right. of based on the way this season is going so far, like assuming they keep doing what they're doing. I'd kind of be surprised if a lot of these guys came back, but like it—that's it, the challenge. Is you know, you got to restock seven starters basically who are only here for a year or two. Um, you do. You hope that you have guys that were yeah. So I think in the lineup, you right? Know? I think Manny's hope is you know they kind of needed this to be a bridge to like you know the 2020 recruiting class uh, wound up being pretty good, and the 2021 recruiting class right now is like a top 10 class in most of the ranking services. Like, the, you right. kind of needed that bridge because the 2019 class was um, not not up to Miami standards. Um, so they kind of needed that bridge. I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, but I, I think these guys really like and respect Manny Diaz, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that that's got to help also, you know? All right, we're back. Um, Derek King, clearly the star of this season so far, right? I, I think I saw ESPN out of number five in their their weekly Heisman Watch column. Um, he is, I, I think, exceeded expectations. Would you say he's exceeded your expectations? Um, yes. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 always, I always thought he was going to be good, you know, because I did so much research on him yeah, and yeah. watching. You wrote a big story on him. But, yeah, but but I think what really well, I had to see for myself. He he is super mature, mm-hmm. and I had to kind of sense that myself. And also his passing game. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect from it. Really, I knew he was a great runner and very you know just the guy's just not just fast. I mean, he just has moves and he's. Yeah finesse and you know he's very graceful kind of but um and quick and he has this uncanny ability i mean he's really good runner Mm -hmm. but i wasn't sure because he's small he is small uh i you know what he was going to be like passing and he's real he's i mean from what i've seen in the first two games i what i love is that he takes care of the ball Mm -hmm. Uh, so far he hasn't thrown an interception and I said, you almost feel calm when he's about to throw it. I never felt that <laughs> in the past few yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, it's going to be. A... I would think that, oh, my God, when somebody released the ball, 
It's like, where is this going? Yeah. Yeah, where is it going? Who's going to intercept it? But I don't, so far, I haven't felt like that at all with him. Yeah. And he's a good, I think he's a good passer. I yeah. mean, he's made some really good passes on the yeah. run and not on the run. So anyway, he is the clear, I think, star of this season so far. But do you think it's fair to say that Jose Borgales is the uh, number two biggest star of this team so far? Absolutely. So which, oh which, which you mentioned feeling calm when Derek goes back to throw in a way that, you know, quarterbacks haven't in a while. Um, I'm sure you feel similarly when Jose Borregales goes back to kick. Um, now, which one of those two, like, makes you more excited? The fact that you don't have to, like, pay attention to every 22-yard field goal to, like, see <laughs> where the ball's going to wind yeah. up or... Or the Deer yeah. King, uh, just you know, knowing that he's going to make the team watchable. Well, it makes me more excited, like it's Jose, because <laughs> only because of how bad UM was. I mean, how horrible. Yeah, yeah. Like UM. one of the worst kicking games I've ever seen. I mean, I could. I mean, you like I just said when UM's quarterbacks went back to pass, I would cringe a little, worrying. But I, but I also, I you know, Jaron Williams was had some you know a couple really really good performances and it's not like you know and also you know i've seen nikosi have some good yeah performances but i i didn't see anybody have a good performance out of the kickers last year maybe they were maybe they're i i just i mean it was cringe city when they lined up i don't care if it was a an extra point I mean, they missed a ton of extra points. Oh, my God. Oh, extra points? Cringe. Field goals, 20 yards? Cringe. 30 yards? Cringe. No matter what it was. Yeah. So, Jose, I still I still haven't gotten it out of my system a little. I'm still, like, kicking is such a, a God, he looks so good and strong. But you, 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 do, you do kind of wonder... Uh, every kicker misses, usually, you know, misses. I know he's he had some rough patches at, when he was at FIU, you know, and what happens is it gets in their heads um, very quickly, you know. They make mm-hmm. a miss, and get, so I just, I do wonder about that. Yeah, well, and Jose actually, like, as good as he is, and he's, you know, arguably, like, been the best kicker in the country early on this year. Um, right. He, like, was streaky at FIU. Like, he had a run, I think, in the middle of last season where he, like, missed a couple. Yeah, and, I mean, like, it's... He was, like, pretty candid about, like, kind of, like, the, the mental hurdles and all that kind of stuff. So, like, you know, he's not going to be perfect, but um, no, it's but, infinitely but, better than last year. But I wonder about that. I do wonder when that happens. I, I also wonder when or if whatever Derek throws a pick, you know what I mean? Right. What happens? It's just things... I've got to see how they respond and stuff because it's just part of the game. But my God, Jose Borgales, I, I mean, he's arguably, I, I mean, Derek's the quarterback. That's the most important position on the team, no mm-hmm. doubt. But I don't know, man. After that, Borgales is like totally important yeah. to this episode. So I, I think there are eight transfers that are like starters or playing big roles, right? We got Derek, we got Jared Williams. So seven. So we got Derek, we got Jared Williams, we got the two defensive ends, Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips, Bubba Bolden the safety, and then Borgalis the kicker, and Lou Headley the punter is a grad transfer. I, I think thought he's so good too. He's great too. Yeah. I mean they they could have you know, they're gonna have a Groza and a Ray guy 
at least semi-finalist and, and maybe finalist for both. Um, but yeah. So, okay, we've got those guys. I think we agree that D'Eric is the most important one of those transfers. That if yeah. you're, I don't want to make you rank everyone, but, like, Oh my God! Like, give okay. me like your next two or three. Like if you're just picking from that list, who are like the next two or, or three guys that you're like, thank God Miami has this guy. Hey. Okay. You want me to do mine first? Yeah, I mean, I think. Wow, I think. I think. I think Jose slash Jalen maybe. Okay. I'm a, I, um. I can't tell you how important I, I've always thought the kicker was, okay? So I just have to, even though whenever I say I'm writing a story on a kicker, uh, the editors are like, oh, okay, that's not going on the front. Yeah. <laughs> so, whatever. It's a kicker. It's a kicker. But I, but, and by the way, Lou Headley, I know, I know, but my God, look how he changes field position. Yeah. And that was another I thing. Mean, he, it's kind of the same way that Jose came in um, to, you alleviate Miami's disastrous kicking game. Headley did the same thing last year, right? Coming in to replace uh, Zach Fiegels and oh Jack Spicer, who was like a disaster. Like they had the worst punting game in the country oh the my year God. before Headley. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Okay, uh, all right. I think Jose Headley are like super important. I, I mean, obviously, I. I I almost think they're more important. I don't know, more important <laughs> than Jalen. I know people uh, are going to think crazy because because. <laughs> well, I'll say if you like, not Jafari Harvey, who's really really good. Also, they yeah. do, but you need depth on the defensive line. I I understand that, but you don't have another you don't have another kicker or punter. Oh my God! Yeah. I, so the, crazy, the way right? the way I would kind of put it is, if you replace them with just like an ACC average kicker punter, you know, like a a guy who can make you know kicks in the forties and and be you know the typical streaky college kicker, maybe can get out to fifty or so, and, and you have a punter who averages like forty a punt or whatever, like you know, just kind of like ACC average specialists, like yeah. Then yeah, they're they're valuable, but you know they're they're only so valuable. But it's like you're saying, it's what they were replacing. It's like it's not like that though, right? I it's, mean, it's it's Jose Borregales, right? That was reality, right? Okay, that, and they had somebody that's okay, okay, but it's not reality. Yeah. You went from horrible to exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so to me, that was, and I and I know they lost Rousseau. Uh, Obviously, that was a big loss, but and and I do think Jalen and Quincy, the two of them, are super important. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, what's your thought? Uh, for me, I kind of I think Jared Williams is number two. Okay, just be it's kind of the same thing as what you're saying, where the offensive line was so bad last year, and True. they look a lot better. I mean, they they still don't look like elite or anything, but like you know, they do look better. But just all those guys having an extra year of experience and. Yeah, I think, you know, Corey Gaynor has been good this year. He was a first-year starter last year. Um, John Campbell, I I guess, started a couple games last year. You know, they feel comfortable, obviously, playing him a left tackle. Um, But but Jared Williams has been, you know, he's better than any offensive lineman they had last year. And that's a big – that's the position where – that was still the way that this team could have been bad, right, is if the offensive line was terrible. Like, you know, so so I kind of look at him. But I – I'm, I'm kind of with you on, on Jose Borgales. Um, I, and what about... Luke? It's hard I mean, because I, Quincy, Quincy I, Roche and Jalen Phillips kind of like 
cancel each other out in a way, right? Like where like either one of those guys, if you had one of the two, you'd, you'd probably still feel pretty good about your defensive line. If you lost both, you, you wouldn't. Um, but it's hard, kind of hard to separate those two for me. And Bob Bolden yeah. is like kind of the underrated guy in that group right now, right? Like he was awesome in that Louisville game. To me, he was kind yeah. of like the best defensive guy on the field. He was very, very good. Made a lot of tackles. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree. But I have, I'm, I'm going back to my special teamers. Uh-huh. To my Bentley. Well, I just have to ask you, when, when, it's, when they punt, like how calm do you feel? When oh, my God. Especially punt. compared to the like, – like, it's the same way with the kickers. Like I said, the year before he got here – it was like, remember Fegels had like a negative yard punt once? <laughs> like, was, oh you just never knew. Was, you never knew where it was going. But, 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 who Headley? Yeah, it's like everything's going at least like 44 or something, right? Like, you know, everything's going to be at least a respectable, you know, good also, punt. Yeah, and he's super strong. He's, he's older. He's, he's a man. He's like an NFL guy. Yeah, he's, he's like 26 he's, or 27. <laughs> And again, he, he takes the ball, run, he looks so calm when people are coming towards yeah. him. I mean, um, yeah, okay. I, I, it's crazy. <laughs> sure, they'll never go on the front page, but yeah. Uh, well, if there ever were going to be kickers and punters on the front page, I think it would be these two guys. Because not only are they uh, good, but they're both like good personalities, too. So, uh, good, char- yeah. good characters. And as you would say, the most tatted yeah. out duo right yeah. kicker putter in the nation yeah. i mean lou headley was a aussie like his story is kind of well documented by now but like he was like a root a scaffolder in like the middle of nowhere in australia and right he was, yep. he was like a failed aussie rules football career like it's, <laughs> <laughs> yep. it's pretty funny um all right let's wrap up with um you know we the way we're doing these episodes this year we're kind of doing previews every weekend we're, we're doing the friday going into the weekend, uh, which means we don't really have time. You know, we don't get to talk so much about the game that was. Um, but let's let's do a little bit of that because that Louisville win is Miami's biggest win since the Notre Dame win in 2017. Do they have anything? Nothing last year I can think of. Um, yeah, like it's, it, you know, it's nowhere near that same stratosphere as that Notre Dame win. But um, – Right. You know, it was a top 20 win on the road, even if it was like kind of a fraudulent top 20 because the Big Ten teams and the Pac-12 teams aren't in it. Um, right. Still, just going on the road early in the season, kind of erasing all question marks, I think a lot of people, you know, there's obviously, you know, we don't know, you know, it's, it's a long season, but like kind of everything that they did in week one or like that they didn't do in week one, I should say, they did in week two, right? Like, Week one, the story coming out was, wow, they can really run the ball, but, like, what's up with the passing game? They missed some, missed a lot of throws. And then week two, the running game was still good. I mean, Cam Harris had a 75-yard touchdown run, but um, the passing game was uh, looked like, I think, what we thought it had a chance to look like. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think, though, against FSU, they've got to, you know, if they've got to, they've got to protect – they got to protect the Eric. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Florida State is a. Um, yeah. And Marvin Wilson, who's their like star defensive tackle, I think has been a little bit of a disappointment early this season. Um, but I mean, he's still a guy that like 
is a potential like top 15, top 20 pick. Like they're, you know, they, they have a front that is different than Louisville's front. You know, the whole defense just talent wise is, is going to be different. I mean, and, and again, the the right the the passion that's going to be in this game, you know, it's, yeah. it, I mean, they've they've got to, like I said, they've got to protect Derek again, and um, and then and then we'll see what happens. You know, we can't. They've got to keep him healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Put it that way, David. Yeah. They can't. You know, I mean, they can't. If he starts getting sacked, I mean, he's. They got to keep him healthy, or they're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know the the passing game was good. Um, you know, a lot of the yards obviously came on that uh, Jalen Knighton touchdown, where there was not anyone within thirty yards of him when he caught the ball. Um, and then you know, they had the long one to to Brevin. At the Brevin, end of the and game then there would awesome. have been a seventy-four yard one to uh, uh, to Will Mallory at the beginning of the game. I think it was. Early on, right? That got called back for a false yes. start. I, yeah, I think so. And anyway, that I mean, that would have been, been another seven. That right. would have been so the big. So they've they've right. obviously had the, the explosiveness was finally on display, and I, I think the the encouraging thing was probably the third down conversions. So they had a lot of like third and eight, third and ten, where um, yes, where true, Derek was converting. You don't want to be in those situations all the time. Obviously, like the mark of a good. Uh, Offense is an offense that's not in third and long, um, right? But, but the you know considering how bad the third down offense was last year, like, but they, but, but they had a lot of penalties last week. Yes, too. they did. So that's kind of the, that, those are like the kind of next questions, right? It's like can can they consistently put together those like you know six yard plays on first down, or you know the can they stay out of first and fifteen because of a false start, or first and twenty because of a hold? Like there's they're still far from perfect. Um, and I think some of like the big plays really kind of overshadowed probably some of the the issues they still have. But for week two, considering uh, what the offense looked like last year, like yeah, it's hard to complain about with the way the offense looks right now. Yep, offense looks great. I, the defense has to improve. Yeah, yeah, and that's another um, you know another week, another like really good wide receiver they have to deal with. You know, last week two two uh, shredded them. What, he had like 120 yards and two touchdowns, something like that, 140 yards and two touchdowns. Um, uh-huh. This week it's, it's Tamari and Terry, um, you know, another guy who's going to be a, a potential first-round draft pick. And he's a different type of guy. You know, he's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, like big physical uh, end zone threat. Uh, so it's a different type of guy. And the cornerbacks are still, I would say, the biggest question of the defense. You know, they look better in week two than they did in week one. But um, – you know, that's still the, the the one spot that needs to get better. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see we'll see. And the the uh they, what what I saw out of the defense was they they could make uh, they're playmakers. Right. It's kind of the same as like with the offense where I said like those yeah. big plays you know, mask some of the you know, the more underlying issues like the the right. you know, the first down success rate and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of the same on defense, and that's always kind of been Manny Diaz's calling card, right? It's like, you know, the defense, they might give up more yards than you'd like or whatever, but they're going to get takeaways and sacks and, and all that stuff. And that's, and, I, that's and it's really still kind of the way this defense is constructed, right? Like when you have those two defensive ends, 
and yeah, you have exactly. the athletic defensive tackles like Nesta and um, Jared Harrison Hunt are like kind of fit that like Gerald Willis model of like pass rushing defensive tackles. Um, you know that that's what you're you're building the whole thing around. Yeah, and he and it also gets the other guys so pumped up. Yeah, when they make big plays, it's it's so contagious that turnover chain. You know. Yeah. What do you think of the turnover chain? We didn't we didn't talk about that. You called it, David. I did. Not on the podcast, though. David and I. It was just in our text messages. Okay, I'm privately debating what what it would be, and David actually said, "How about the state of Florida?" Um, and didn't you also say something about the, did you say anything with well, Broward, you, Palm Beach? I can't remember if I did. You said they were going to put X's over Tallahassee and Gainesville. And as people have astutely pointed out, the U covers up Tallahassee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I don't think it covers Gainesville just because, you know, it, it'd be an awkwardly shaped I saw that the U, U was up. It was up. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm not sure about that, about the game. Does it? Maybe it I don't does. know if it covers Gainesville. Um, you know, that whole part of the state kind of blends together for me once you get, like, northwest of Orlando. Um, but but, it's but it definitely covers up Tallahassee. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, I, at first I thought, ah, and then I thought, oh, I kind of like this. Yeah. I just thought I liked it. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad, you know, I liked it. They've got creative ideas, obviously. Like, the first two years, I guess, were gimmies, right? The U and the, the Ibis, those are just, like, two logos. Um, right. And then, yeah, and then the 305 was, obviously got people excited last year. And I like the Florida one, too. Um, we, we have time to think about what next year's is going to look like, and I'm sure Manny Diaz is already uh, kicking around some ideas. Yeah, I'm sure he is, too. Hopefully it won't be that mask he was talking about with the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, I think we can wrap things up there. Uh, you can follow Susan on Twitter at smillerdegnan. Um, obviously, lots of Miami stuff these days. You wrote about Jose Borgales this week. You wrote about the Eric King. Um, anything else? Uh, you wrote about Mike Norvell not being on the sidelines. So. Mike Norvell, yeah, Mike Norvell, and uh, and just um, you know, I wrote today. I just, in fact, I just posted a story. Um, about uh, just the, the game itself and the atmosphere. Yeah. That it's going to be like nothing we've ever or I've ever experienced at one of these games. I bet it's still, the fans will still be at it. But yeah. Uh, but I what I said was, you know, and I really mean this, that on the field it'll still be intense. And probably, I don't know if they're going to pipe in music or not. We'll see. I think they will. Yeah, I think they're allowed like a certain, at least in like the yeah. NFL, you're allowed like 70 decibels. I'm not sure if the ACC has its own rule, um, but I'm yeah, sure there's something. But I'm sure. But it sounds so, like there are going to be close to 13,000 people there, as opposed to it was like 8,000, right, for the UAB game? Like, yeah, they said 8,000. I thought that even was a high number. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, anyway, lots of stories, and you've got, you've got, a good one on all the transfers. Yeah, you can follow me at DB Wilson too. I wrote about uh, transfers this week, just kind of breaking down like all the all the different roles these guys are playing and and how much of Miami's production um, on offense and defense are, are coming via those guys, and obviously on special teams. Um, that was just kind of like given, considering their kicker and punter are both transfers. Um, I also wrote about Ed Reed being on the sidelines. Um, it's been fun watching him, right? Fun watching him yell at the refs and all that. Oh, 
doing okay. more down there than I expected him to. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I... Yeah, I love Ed Reed, so. Yeah, and check out all of our Heat stuff. We have a lot. Obviously, the Heater won win away from the NBA Finals, so there's, like, a lot of good Heat stuff on our website these days. Doing the gamers. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Anthony Anthony Chang today re- talked to John Calipari about Tyler Hero and, and Bam Adebayo, um, who are two Kentucky guys. I talked to Jim Beheim, my guy, Jimmy B, um, about, oh, about the 2-3 zone that the Heat uh, are running. Um, which is obviously unusual in the NBA. Um, so, yeah, and just go to MiamiHerald.com. The Marlins are trying to hang on for dear life to their playoff spot. Um, the Dolphins are eh, the Dolphins. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. Dolphins are the Dolphins. That's right. Yeah, although I guess we'll know, you know, you the their Thursday night game, we're recording this before that, that it'll have happened by the time uh, you guys are all listening to this. So, so maybe we'll feel a little bit better about the Dolphins by the time uh, everyone's listening to this. We want to see that new quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I, I think everyone's uh, just about ready for that. Um, but yeah, well, we can wrap things up there. Thanks, as always, for listening, and uh, we will talk to you guys next week. See you next week.